Happy Friday, everybody. I wanted to do a um, I wanted to do a review of uh, the COS event last night. Um, it seems that people are now starting to um, pay attention to the issue. And because it's such a contentious issue, I decided to put music in the background, if you can hear it, to soothe the savage beast. If it's irritating, I apologize. I'm just kind of testing it out. Anyway, um, so it was a, it was a colorful day yesterday. Um, I listened to the radio, didn't get a chance to get on, uh, took copious notes, which I'll probably try to cover. I think I did it in a previous video already anyway. I uh, went to a legislative lunch. Um, in proxy for a senator and I was given a very warm welcome by COS supporters which was awesome. Uh, it was a very friendly environment in that regard. Uh, it wasn't uh, contentious like in some years past and uh, it was just really great to to visit with them and to, um, to do that. I look forward to continuing to do that and have that discussion. Um, then um, I ended up going to an, an event with uh, Mark Meckler and Rick Santorum, as you guys know, because um, I posted it on there at 7 o'clock. I think it was at the Basque Center last night. And I took more notes. And so um, I wanted to review some of those notes with you. Um, if you happen to be concerned, I've been doing uh, Facebook this morning, and I don't know if these people are going to watch my videos or not. I'm encouraging them to do that. Um, I did also hear on Kevin Miller this morning that a lot of people had changed their mind. Uh, which is not surprising to me. I think they did a pretty good job. The um, the mood was good. The room was packed. They, to to their credit, they had 150 plus people, um, and it made me feel a little small, honestly, because um, I didn't see very many people that I knew um, that I had hoped would have been there. I did see some, and that was great to be able to have that. Um, but um, overall, the questions seemed to be pretty softball. Of course, it was a controlled um, it was a controlled arena where they had to give index cards because, you know, their excuse for that was, well, we gave index cards because people don't seem to know the difference between uh, statements and questions. Well, that's a pretty bold statement, and I would agree with that. But it's a little bit inconsistent with some of the comments they made last night, considering one of the ones that they said following was the fact that they believe that there's a lot of John uh, of of um, of um, James Madison's. Uh, in other words, they would have the, uh, the the strength and the desire and the knowledge and the ability to you know to be able to write our country and. You know, out of everything that I, I, I heard, aside from the things that we all agree on, I actually agreed with the fact that um, um, with the fact that intelligence is hugely important, not buying into garbage and not buying into things. But there's a tremendous sleight of hand going on, and I'm trying to reveal that to the best way I can, but I'm not getting opportunities to be able to do that. And it's a little bit discouraging because I'm looking for opportunities to do that and I'm just not getting them. And so I'm a little frustrated by that. And so I thought I'd use this as a, um, I thought I'd use that as a means to, um, use this as a means to sort of catapult my position in case somebody's interested in watching those. Now, you, many of you will know if you want to become a historian and you want to become a constitutionalist, there's a lot of, there's a lot of reading that takes place. There's a lot of education. Our, our founding fathers were really, really um, intelligent that way. They were very well read, you know, multiple languages. They understood forms of government of different sorts and things of that nature. And I'm going to begin by saying this. And if you're offended by that, I'm sorry, but I'm, I would be offending myself. We don't have James Madison's. 
I'm going to repeat that. We do not have James Madisons. So when you have somebody that's blowing smoke up your backside saying, well, oh, we're going to win this thing because we've got James Madisons and Thomas Jeffersons and John Adamses and, and all of that stuff. No, we don't. And I'm going to tell you that I'm not even, I'm not even a Madison. I'm not a Jefferson. I'm not an Adams. I'm not any of those people. I'm as well studied as I can possibly be. And I think that I've proven the fact that I'm dedicated to the cause without question. But to presume that I don't know anything, I, you don't have to presume whether I know something or not. I'll tell you. But to presume somehow that you could, see, you could walk away from an event like that and say, well, he thinks I'm a James Madison. And then you openly have this, uh, this conversation with yourself, right? Because you don't want anybody else to know your vulnerabilities. But you know that you, that you haven't read your constitution in three years. You don't really understand the proper context of any of the articles. You don't really know that much about the history of the amendments and stuff like that. And you know you should. But you feel like you're a patriot, right? So that makes us a lot like the left, right? Because we feel something, right? I feel like I'm a patriot. Therefore, I am. And we couldn't even define patriotism if we had to, could we? So uh, we don't have James Madison's. And when they say that, they say that the people that oppose the convention don't trust you. I would agree with that statement. And the reason why is I shouldn't trust anybody because we should be jealous guardians of liberty for crying out loud and not just go, oh, I'm going to, he's a conservative talking head. Of course, I'm going to believe him because he's infallible and there's no way he could be wrong on an issue because he's just so good because he's been focusing so much on the pro-life issue, which Santorum really went overboard with last night to be able to get a buy-in and everybody stood up. Ooh, he's our man. Oh my God. I mean, are you serious, you guys? But they said that because of the fact that we believe that there's no James Madison's, they, they say that we're, because we're elitists. That's not what we're saying at all. But see, this is that sleight of hand, right? If, if we can just call somebody a homophobe or a bigot or, or a xenophobe or something like that, somehow it's going to be left to us to try to explain that. And he said something else a couple of times. He says, if you, can't ex if, if you don't use brevity like short statements, you lose. That might be true, but what he's basically saying is the message that's embedded in that. You can't handle taking the time to watch an important 20-minute video, read an hour-long article. That's what he's telling you. If the message isn't short, you lose. All the while, he's telling you that you're James Madison and somehow you're going to save our country. Now, I'm a big proponent of finding um, of inconsistencies in people's worldview. I think it's important for us to be able to, to utilize that as people, to, as iron sharpens iron, if we're willing to do that. If Ray can call me out and he can say that I'm doing something wrong and my context is wrong, then I should, be, I, then I should listen to what he's saying and consider what he's saying. If I was going to end up holding somebody else accountable for their inconsistencies, they should use common sense, logic, and reason to define why they made that position. But you know what? I'm not seeing that. And the reason, and, and the fact that I'm not seeing that is freaky. And some of the evidence of that is this. Well, you know, our country's going to hell anyway. We might as well give it a shot because the only thing left is violence. That's an unbelievable statement to me. It's completely reckless. It doesn't make any sense, but somehow it appeals solely to emotion without even needing any sort of, to supply any sort of evidence on why he believes that. 
And then I was on Facebook this morning and uh, Joshua 24, I think, and some and uh, John Colson. You guys can check them out. But um, and they were asking some really good questions. But what they basically said was, is they're adhering to the COS talking points. They said they've done their homework, and then I called them out, and then they said, well, basically, you can't change my mind because I believe what I believe. Well, is this not like the left? Is this not like conservatives that are just so stuck in their establishmentarianism they can't see the the deviation to cultural Marxism or Trotskyite-style Marxism as a neocon and the difference between a constitutionalist? We're on dangerous ground here, you guys. And so the next thing he says is he says, he says, it, and this is really kind of an interesting way that he says this, but it's like an attorney speak, right? Well, what we have is not a personnel problem. We have a structural problem. Well, you know, that's his opinion. It's complete conjecture. And from an attorney that comes from out of state that's well paid, I might add, we won't even talk about the special interest aspect of that by any stretch of the imagination. And their arrogance of saying, well, anybody that disagrees with them is wrong without providing any sort of evidence of that fact is ludicrous to me that people would sit there and go, oh, I just, I just love these guys because they know more than me. I mean, when you're sitting there and you're idolizing somebody else, you're automatically taking an inferior position to the superior. And he knows it. When you allow somebody, when, you, when you're in awe of somebody like that, you should really be scared of, your, of what you're doing. Because that person right there, if he has any intelligence at all, is going to know he's commanding his audience. And when, it, when somebody like that can command an audience, they can manipulate the audience as well. And if people are not aware of this, you should be. So one of the things was he says that it's a structural problem. You know what? I'm going to go off in my own conjecture and I'm going to tell you it's my own opinion. We have a character problem in this country. We're not a virtual, moral, religious people. That's a character problem. There's no problem with the Constitution. There's no problem with the Bill of Rights other than the fact that, you know, it's been, <clears throat> it's been bastardized with the, you know, with the passage of all of those. But again, if the, if, if the amendments after the first 10 amendments have been passed, is that a character problem or is that a structural problem? It's a character problem. Because if you don't understand where your rights come from, you don't understand the checks and balances of our government, you don't understand the power and the authority that the states have and that the people have, and you don't understand the authority that the federal government has, that's not a structural problem. The structure would be the confines of the Constitution themselves, which I believe are still held inviolate. The problem is, is that, that, that the understanding of that has been changed. Your interpretation of what's that's been changed. Your, your brain and your mindset about how you feel and how they've manipulated you over the years has changed. It's a character problem. It's got nothing to do with structure. And I would like to go into that a little bit more. And they said, well, the 16th and 17th Amendments and the courts and the Commerce Clause and, and all of that, the solution is Article 5. And then they go into to, to Mason's quote, and they, didn't, they never even say what the quote is. And I'm not going to say it either because I can do that later or whatever. But they always say that, that, that nobody argued with Mason's quote. But they don't tell you what Mason's quote is other than the fact that they say, I, I believe that they say, that Mason said that Article 5 was used to rein in an out-of-control government, and that's not Mason's quote. Mason's quote was related to the fact that somehow Congress might not be willing to call a convention. So one of the first things that we should be asking is what does Mason's quote actually say? 
And I think that we should get that from Mark Meckler or perhaps one of the people in the Convention of States. I'm sorry if I sound um, angry. I'm not. I'm passionate. So don't mistake the two. Um, and this is a very, very important topic. He said they had the power to restrain the federal government. Well, if if Mason said that they had the power, that the states had the power to rein in the federal government, I would totally agree with that quote. The question is how? And, and they're saying that Article 5 is the solution for that. And there's no evidence that I can find that even shows that Article 5 is used to rein in an out-of-control government. Because that was left for the states or the people. Really. So, and then they said they know, they know no other means than an Article 5 convention. And then he goes and he says this. Well, how's the Tenth Amendment working for you? You know, stuff like that. Why is, how's the Ninth Amendment working for you? How's the First Amendment working for you? How's the Second Amendment working for you? Well, those amendments are there. The provisions are still there. The problem is, it's like a closet that doesn't have clothes in it. Do you have a closet? Yes. Then why is your closet in your bedroom completely full when you can use the closet that's empty? Maybe that's a metaphorical challenge because uh, I could never claim to be that way. But I'm hoping you understand what I'm saying. The problem is that the Constitution has laid out, laid out the duties of the federal government and, and, and basically let, said that, that, that the rest of the powers are left to the states and the people. If the people are not exercising their power, then the states are not exercising their power, and then the federal government becomes abusive. And if we don't exercise the power as people, so do the states, and now all of a sudden we've got corruption everywhere. And it's because most people will openly admit to me that they don't know as much as I do, which is weird, but they say that they don't know enough about the Constitution, but they openly support the Convention of States because somehow they believe it's going to be limited, or somehow there's going to be a safety net, or somehow there's going to be three-quarters of the ratification process or whatever. So we need to find out what that, what that quote is exactly and to be able to call him on the carpet about what Mason actually said. What's really interesting, he says, having a convention of states among conservatives, uh, unlike the left, we don't act by feelings, we act by homework. I would disagree with that to some degree. I think some people are emotionally drawn. I've been doing activism in this state for 20 years, and I'm going to tell you something. Apathy abounds. All of you people that are, in, that are out there and you know your leaders, you know that apathy abounds. The question is, is where is everybody? What's everybody doing? Well, most people are going as a default to be able to focus on local elections because I believe it's the easiest thing and it's the one thing that people can feel like they can have the, the most amount of change in the short amount of time. Meanwhile, they've openly admitted to me that they've abandoned even communicating with Congress because it's out of control. And now we're going to open up an Article 5. The state's going to apply for an Article 5 convention to Congress. And we're going to somehow hold Congress accountable, which is a completely different argument I covered in, a, in another video. Left has gone crazy. They're going toward the C word, Santorum says. Why don't we just say they're freaking communists? We could just say that. And then they said we're defenders of the Constitution. Listen. We can claim to be patriots and we can feel like we're patriots, but if you don't know anything about your form of government, you are not a defender of it. And I'm not going to mince words about this because we don't have time for that garbage. 
I'm not going to blow smoke up your butt and trying to increase donations and all of that stuff so that I can drive another Lamborghini or whatever the hell I'm going to do or, or travel around the country and, and blow smoke up people's butt and telling everybody that they're James Madison's because we're not. I'm not getting paid to speak to you. I'm not traveling around the country to, to speak to you. I've got no motive other than saving my country to talk to you at all. But does somebody have a motive if they're paid $250,000 or whatever they're getting paid to, 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 to go around the country and, and, and create this sort of idol worship in the country? Because, oh, we've got to, I mean, what, it's so ironic. We, we totally know that we hate attorneys. We totally hate special interests. But yet we're going to believe Mark Meckler, number one, because he, because he just, he has, he commands authority, right? And I mean to say this respectfully because he openly commended me on the radio for being an honorable man. And, and I was very humbled by that. But it doesn't mean that he that we don't have a disagreement. So I don't want you to think that this is personal. It's not. It's business. Now listen to what I'm saying here. They said, Santorum said, the Republican Party has abandoned conservatism and it is time to do something. But later on in the in the uh, in the um, in the event. They said that they're basically relying on the red states to save our country because there's much more of us than there are of them. And look at the map. You can't have it both ways. You can't have the R party has abandoned conservatism and it's time to do something, but rely on the same R party to save your country. Now, if I'm off the rails here and you can find and you can poke holes in any inconsistency I have, I'm challenging you to do it. And I'm asking you to join me on February 15th to be able to talk about this and have an open conversation about this issue. Obviously, I'm not allowed to be able to speak anywhere and to be able to talk about some of the issues that I think are plaguing us because people are more interested in going somewhere where they can feel like they're doing their patriotic duty by meeting a congressman, Santorum, and meeting an attorney that is very prominent around the nation and very well spoken, I might add, um, and commiserate with, um, um, with Mark Meckler. It's fine. But we've got to look at the inconsistencies and the weird ways that some of this stuff is being contorted. And it's funky, man. So they, they did a really good job. They both gave their intros. And then they went into the questions. And, and the first question was something about Pandora's box. How do we make sure that we prevent a runaway convention? And they overly went and went and they said, there's no way it's going to happen. There's no way that bad amendments could be done. Everything's going to be thrown out. And they gave a, a plausible scenario for, our, for the Second Amendment and the fact that, you know, nobody's going to throw away the Second Amendment, especially everybody's watching. And that may or not be true. The point is there's so much more than that that's involved in this argument. So they said, well, 34 states need to, uh, to pass a resolution. But here's the thing. In previous years, and you'd have to have some previous years' knowledge to be able to understand how the stories have changed. They were talking about the fact that, the, there was, uh, that we were only going to have a single amendment. But what's really weird now is this year they want to have several amendments. And this year, what's even more different than other years past is they used, they, they used a phrase called open-ended. Now, if you were going to create amendments to a constitution, not just one, actually, I'm going to go through those. Um, would you want an open-ended amendment so that you could 
you know, continually pick what abuses that the federal government couldn't do. They also, from what I gathered from what they said, is they wanted to articulate all of the abuses in the Constitution that the federal government can't do. Can you imagine what that list would be like? Can you imagine how long that Constitution would be? Do you imagine how different the interpretations would be over time, depending on the stupidity of people? It's insane to be able to think this. So rather than a single issue, which was like a, a so passe, it was like last year, you know, now they want to propose term limits. They want to propose fiscal restraints and they want to limit the power of the federal government. Well, who wouldn't want to do that? The question is, is Article 5 the mechanism for doing that? And the answer is no. Term limits, the states could do term limits, but states are too busy grabbing federal funding. How are you going to restrict the, mon the money from the federal, how are the states going to restrict money from the federal government when they need it with as much as 30% of their budgets? Can you tell me that? The school boards, right? We're, so, we're, we're still so busy. Our kids are being brainwashed with cultural Marxism, and yet somehow we still keep our kids in school, which defies all, all critical thinking skills on its own, but they can't even determine a budget, and all they want is more money. And yet somehow you think that we're going to force the federal government to be able to, to impose fiscal restraints. You think you're going to be able to do that with the states asking for money? What about the baby boomers? What about everybody that's dying? Who's going to end up getting the short end of the stick, ladies and gentlemen? You are. You're going to get the short end of the stick. When you get aged, when you get old and you need to be on Social Security, which is insolvent anyway, somehow you think you're going to end up enjoying your retirement on whatever it is that you get, all while the Great Reset's moving on, which they won't talk about. So this is insane, you guys. And then they want to do term limits and they want to control you. Your term limits are at the ballot box. If you don't like what your people are doing, grab some, grab your cojones and grab theirs if you have to and hold them accountable. That's your job. Your job isn't to go, oh my God, the people aren't obeying the Constitution. We better change it. How many Christians are out there? Are you a Christian? Do you know people that aren't Christians? You know what I think we should do? I think we should just open up the Bible and just change the Bible. Can we do that? I mean, since people aren't Christians, you know what? How many of you are in relationships where, you know, if, you're, if there was any infidelity going on, you would be willing to, to uh, change the terms of your marriage? Oh, well, I'll just let you cheat once a month, or I'll just let you cheat after five on Thursdays or whatever. Hey, if you can't, if you can't adhere to the, uh, to the terms of the agreement, let's just change the agreement. Don't hold the other one accountable. Don't take him to court. I'm going to see, by the end of this video, I'm going to see the divorce rate drop because you guys are going to accept the fact that you're going to change the terms of your agreement. How's that sound? We're not talking about you. We're talking about the future of this country. We're talking about the Constitution. We're talking about what freedom means to the rest of the country. And what I'm seeing with my fellow people that are actually blindly supporting this is killing me. And it, I think what's worse is that I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, maybe doing this for so long, people are used to seeing me or, you know, people, I don't know, people have these preconceived notions about who I am or, you know what it is? It's probably the fact that I might be the only one that's opposed to this thing, aside from me, the other few. I mean, with an organization that opposes it, not as, not as just an individual. And that was only the per first page. Hell, I got four pages of this stuff. They're going to use the Republicans to save the country while they just said that the Republicans have sold out. Now, if you can find some logic in that, please tell me. That's, that's directly from the words that they have. I have the recorded meeting if you didn't go. 
Three quarters is a safety mechanism because 14 to 16 blue seats are there and there's way more red states. No way. Just look at a map. It's impossible. But courts may knock down an amendment. Now listen. Number one, Article 5 doesn't specify anything about courts. Number two, the whole purpose of a convention is to be a standalone deliberative body. The whole point of it comes from the foundations of Federalist 40 and the Declaration of Independence to where when the usurpations become uh, bad enough to these ends, it's the duty for our citizens to abolish or, or, you know, abolish or change the form of government. So if the, and you're to saying that the courts can determine the outcome of a convention because it's where? And because they have the authority to do that? And somehow you're going to have, imagine what would happen if you had federal court judges and you had local county court judges and you had everybody that had their say. It's kind of like saying, well, it's going to be limited to, to, you know, to certain, you know, limitations, but, you know, all of the state legislatures are going to be able to hold their delegates accountable. Can you imagine the chaos that would ensue in a, in a convention? And this is going to be, and they say it's going to be live. Well, there's no way to know that it's going to be live, even though the first one was secret. Who's to say? We would assume it would be, but we don't know. But we don't know. Um, so they say that the runaway word comes from the left, actually. It came from Roe v. Wade, and it was signed by Justice Warren Burger. No, it didn't. Maybe the specific term runaway may have, which I would doubt. But we have to understand and look at how they twist this. Runaway doesn't necessarily just mean runaway, as if somehow if, you know, if, if, if we can't find CRT, there's not cultural Marxism in school. Runaway could also be, have the definition of exceeding the delegates' um, commissions. Back in the day when they had the Articles of Confederation, what happened? They were going in there for the sole purpose of creating amendments to strengthen the Articles of Five or, or the Articles of Confederation. What happened? We got a new constitution. They say they already had the authority. Well, where's the evidence of that? They exceeded their commissions because the states were supposed to hold them accountable and they and, and it didn't happen. That is called precedent. Do they have precedents otherwise? No, they don't. The left-wing propaganda, here's an interesting one. Um, uh, this, the left-wing propaganda leftist groups total 250 groups that said that the Constitution Convention is the worst thing they can do. So what they're doing is they're maligning people like me and people like you that oppose the convention, and they're aligning you with the left. They're maligning you just like the left actually does, which something is called a sandwich smear. What they didn't tell you is that there are 250 groups or there are several hundred groups, nonetheless, that actually support an Article 5. Now, you have to understand they're trying to play word games with you here and they're trying to tell you that a convention of states is an Article 5, but Article 5 isn't a convention of states and, it's in, and the convention of states is in Article 5 and we're not using Article 5 and they're baffling you with all of this BS. The fact of the matter is, you can call it cornflakes if you want to. I don't care what you call it. The fact is, if you're using Article 5 and you're going to appeal to people to open up an Article 5 convention, you are therefore bound to Article 5 and the rules thereof. You're therefore bound to the words of Article 5. So it does not matter what you call it, aside from the fact that the Convention of States is nowhere in Article 5. Convention of States was a term that Robert Nadelson created in, in 2013. 
when they were talking about, well, I don't know what we'll call it. Maybe we'll call it a convention of states. So it wasn't the founders that created the convention of states. It was Robert Nadelson himself. Do you see how they did that? So I'm going to call Mark Meckler the people whisperer, right? And maybe I'll be the people agitator. I don't know. The point is, you better start looking at the inconsistencies of what's going on here. I've got a whole list of groups of leftist groups that are supporting the Article 5 convention. Now, I will submit, they might not be supporting the convention of states, but there are a multitude of other organizations that are focusing on advocating for an Article 5 convention. Do you see the difference? The other question was, can we ensure the delegates? And the answer briefly was the state legislature can when they define and they outline the, the role of the delegates. There's no way that that can happen. And I've already told you that. It, there's already a precedent that the fact that they didn't do it, there's already, you can already imagine the chaos that would ensue if they ended up doing that. If you had 50 of the states that, were, that went there limiting, why have a convention in the first place? And then if all of the states got there and they ended up proposing amendments because it says amendments plural, not amendments single, which throws the whole idea of a single amendment out the window. And it, and it, more, and it, and it more is aligned with their idea of, of all of the fact that they want to impose more amendments. And Meckler says, oh, I would support those amendments, which means more amendments. And the fact that they, op they said multiple times it was going to be open-ended. Do you want an open-ended amendment? If you do, the UN Charter is, is, our new, is going to be our new globalist constitution, which they won't talk about. That's going to be open-ended. The living, breathing constitution is not the paper version. It's the interpretive version in your mind of what they believe that they can get away with. Because people don't know better. And if you and I are honest with, our, with each other, we will know that we should have grown up knowing this stuff. And we're all frantic, trying to figure it all out. We're all emotional basket cases. And yet we're all willing to just throw our eggs in one basket and go, well, if this doesn't work, I guess we'll just go to hell. Is that an answer? What would your kids think if they heard you say that? Well, we don't really care about our kids. Screw our kids. If this thing doesn't work, we'll just shoot them in the head. Is that really what we want to do? Because that's essentially what we're doing, right? We're going to sell them into despotism and somehow, oh, well, if it doesn't work, we'll just, we'll, just, we'll just let it become violent. So they, they're saying that they get to choose, the states get to choose who the delegates are and how they're selected, two or five or whatever. Two or five or whatever? This is a really important question. They said, oh, it's only going to be one state, one vote. How is that possible? Do you think states like New York and California and, 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 and some of these bigger states are, are going to be okay with only one vote when Rhode Island and Idaho and Wyoming only have one vote? Hardly. Oh, it's happened before. We've had 400 conventions of states. It's like you've never had an Article 5 convention. Not once. And the first one we had, if we had anything before we had our Constitution, proved the point that it was a runaway convention. Or they exceeded their commissions. I'm sorry. And then the next question is really, really interesting. And this is what I like to talk about because you guys know I talk about conspiracy. Well, what are we going to do about George Soros? They skipped over the question. It tells you that they're not telling you what I'm telling you. They're denying the existence of conspiracy right now or that the fact that they're going to be able to do anything about it because the Council on Foreign Relations, the World Economic Forum, the IMF, all of those people are in control of your and the bankers and these multinational corporations and these NGOs are all working together, colluding to collapse this country. 
And they think, oh, well, you know, if we just keep the administrative state and we just, you know, impose fiscal responsibility on the government or whatever, somehow we won't have to deal with the elements of conspiracy. Carol Quigley was huge about this when he was talking about it. He was the uh, advisor, I think, to President Clinton or something. He wrote an 1,100-page book called Tragedy and Hope. He says, what we want to do is we want, we want to make them to feel like they can throw those bastards out without any significant change in policy. That's what he said. But see, people don't pay attention to conspiracy. They don't listen to David Rockefeller when he said in his book memoirs, he said, well, you know, people have accused me of, the, of being part of a global cabal to destroy this country. And I'm paraphrasing whatever. And if that's the charge against me, I stand guilty and I'm proud of it. Only birchers understand conspiracy that way. And of course, now that the internet and YouTube and all that stuff, people are starting to realize that what we've been talking about is real. And then they said, well, what are we going to do if these, if these delegates exceed their commissions? Do you know what their answer was? We will be recalling them and imposing penalties. Well, forgive me here without having a convention, but why can't we do that now? Can we not recall them now? Can we not impose penalties on them now? Can we not make sure they don't get elected now without having to go through the vulnerable process of throwing away our Constitution? Dark money, this is an interesting one. If you want us to show you our, our donors, then you're not a conservative. Now, I'm going to say that again. If you want us to show you our donors, then we're going to say that you're not a conservative. Oh, Really? Well, because there's a difference, you know, in, in, in legal, in law, in uh, attorney doublespeak. Well, you know, the public, you know, there's a difference between public and private, which I agree with. If it's public, that means transparency. If it's private, they don't need to. What about public-private partnerships? What about the, in, what about the, the, what about that public-private partnership thing that is part of the move toward globalism? What is it when they're merging together? And then the other question is, is about, about transparency is, what is it like for, legis for, for people in a private organization that don't want to be able to share their donors, that, um, that are colluding with legislators to try to change their position on issues that would affect you? Don't you think you ought to know? Wouldn't you want to know if George Soros is a main, I mean, I'm not, and I'm not saying this, I'm just saying it just, I'm not saying that it's true, I'm just saying, wouldn't you be interested to know if George Soros was a major funder of something that you support? Wouldn't you be interested in something like that? Now, I, I, have, to say that I, I have to say that I agree with him in the fact that if things are private, there should be no reason for me to have to be able to show you my books as somebody that is part of a private business. But when your private business starts meddling in public politics, we've got a problem. And I think therein is, is the difference that I would actually uh, mandate. Um, so the other part of this is uh, question four was, can we prevent Obama's executive orders? Now, the question, these are softball questions. These are, in my part, and I'm sorry to say this, they're worthless questions. Because what it helps me realize is the intellectuality in this room. The way that you prevent an executive state and the people nullifying an executive order, nullifying congressional edicts. This is, if we're going to talk about the power and the people and using the Ninth and Tenth Amendment and all of that stuff, this all goes back to the character of the people. Then they say the left doesn't campaign for a COS. Maybe that, that might be true. 
But what that's going to lead you to believe is that nobody on the left supports an Article Five convention, and that's and and that's that's where it's false. The left does actually support um, an Article Five convention, just maybe not the convention of states. They said, and and so um, I think it was Santorum. He said, the Constitution has been changed. I would argue that the Constitution has not been changed. If you were to go and you were looking at that original par parchment, the Constitution's still the same. Bill of Rights are still the same. Now, things have been added through a process, but why were they added? Do we even know that? Well, we know the 16th and 17th Amendments were ratified, uh, which sort of throws the idea that bad bills can't pass because they were ratified. And let's look at the history of the other one, the 14th Amendment, 15th Amendment, you know, the 18th Amendment. Well, let's look at the history of all of those, that maybe the conspiratorial elements too establishment of the Federal Reserve. I mean, I don't know. They said that we need to, and, and then they ended up talking about term limits in the balanced budget amendment. Uh, that's when they said it was changed and the 27 amendments have not been ignored. And the reason why they have not been ignored is because three-fourths have called a national consensus. Well, if that's true, then why is the Constitution, then why has Congress decided to deviate from the Constitution then? Same thing. If the 27 amendments have been accepted by a national consensus and our constitution has been accepted by national consensus, then why are they saying that the, that the 27 amendments haven't been changed, but the constitution has? Ladies and gentlemen, that is probably one of the biggest red flags that you should have about looking at the inconsistency in somebody's argument. And then they say, oh, well, but, but Congress won't balance the budget otherwise. Well, why would the states balance the budget since they've got their handouts to federal money? And most of us do too. Y'all, all of these vets, God bless you. You know, you're still getting your pensions and all of these, you know, first responders are getting all their pensions and the school people are getting their pensions and they don't realize that we're freaking insolvent. But you know what it is? It's, a, it's that we want what we want, don't we? I want what's mine. And we can just go ahead and just let our future figure it out. I think our founders would turn in their grave if they heard that. They said, oh, there's 400 applications and they all have to be the same kind, right? You have to have 20. So the idea is you have to have 34 of the same amendments, right? Um, you have to have uh, 34, you know, balanced budget amendments or 34 term limits or 34 whatever, right? And they said that the Congress, they're, they're scared that Congress, it won't call for a convention. Well, I've got news for you. If you look up on the online and you look up HR 8419 on uh, GovTrack or on uh, following Congress, what you'll find now is Congress right now is debating putting all of the applications together regardless of what kind they are. You still think that Congress doesn't want to call for a convention? The COS draft does not deal with specific issues, but we're going to leave it open-ended. So what they openly said is, if I understood it right, it's going to be an open, it's, we're going to have these amendments because we need to have it open-ended because we want to make sure that we address all of the abuses of the federal government. Unreal. I mean, this is absolutely unreal. Then they go into question eight that talks about the format, why they couldn't ask questions and why they needed index cards, which was interesting because uh, apparently that's out of style for a town hall. Um, then they talked about Montana and the fact that it was 25 to 25. Uh, Wyoming passed something on the first reading in the Senate. Um, they were asking if there was possible for Idaho to have a resolution this year, and they said yes. Uh, be, now get this. 
They said, yes, we could have a resolution in Idaho this year because we have a lot of new members. Character of people, ignorance of people. So if what they're saying is true, and we ended up gutting people out of government and instituting new people, and we brainwashed them properly, we could really get them to do whatever we wanted, couldn't we? Like uphold the Constitution, maybe? It's possible. But what do our founders say? Our founders say that we have the government that we deserve, right? They always talk about education and being a virtual people and all of those things. But if the people be ignorant, then their government will follow. And so we get the government, we, we get the government that we deserve as a people. And we should really internalize that and really understand with all humility what that really means. The question 11 was, um, what about uh, repealing the 17th Amendment? They said, we'd love to do that. I don't think that people would support opposing the direct election of senators, they said. Well, why not? I mean, if they're educated and they're James Madison's, then why wouldn't they want to repeal that? Again, it's about being self-serving, right? Well, we don't really want to do that. We want what we want, right? Because that's a great source of revenue. That's a great source of revenue. If we, can, if, if we don't have to hold them accountable and we can just apply for federal grants, then nobody's held accountable and they'll do the bidding for the federal government. They won't even be representatives of the legislature. The question 12 was the time duration. Well, the time duration is uncertain. Well, I don't know about you, but when you're going to call something that, that ginormous, there's going to be a lot of tax money involved. Who's paying for that? Us? Are you willing to pay for that? Is that going to be part of the balanced budget amendment when we have to raise taxes because we can't do anything else? Are you ready to pass a balanced budget amendment with Congress saying, well, the only way that we can do this is to, ra is to raise taxes, 400,000%. Are you good with that? That's one reason why not to support the ba balanced budget amendment already. In addition to the emerge the five-year emergency per, um, uh, clause uh, uh, for the declaration of war and the implementation clause as well. Well, does that, what are they going to do about the uh, declarations of war that we've had arguably since 1933 or at least 1979? I think we have 33 of them on record right now. Are we going to get rid of every state of emergency to, to pass the balanced budget? And additionally, additionally, we would have to pay off the debt before we had a balanced budget amendment in the first place. Question 13. Can the Senate shoot down the convention? Sure. I suppose they could. Congress can just say, well, we, you know, we, we don't really feel like we want to do it. And then what do we do then? That's yet to be determined. Nobody knows. There's nothing written in the Constitution that talks about that other than what was in the Declaration of Independence. Question 14. Will COS prevent, will calling a convention of states, which is not real, convention of states is not real. They've, they've managed to be able to, to bastardize the Article 5 convention where, where the convention of states isn't even written in Article 5. They tell you it's not an Article 5 convention, but they're using Article 5, which is subject to the rules, but they say that they're not. But yeah, we believe that if we, this is what they say, we believe that our founders gave us a solution to our problem to avoid violence by using the Article 5 convention to rein in and out of control government when our founders said no such thing. Guys, that's a summary <laughs> of the copious notes I made for the meeting last night. 
Uh, I know there probably won't be many of you that are listening, but I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Join me on February 15th at 7 o'clock. You can go to my website at tommuns.com. You can go to Facebook. Um, you can just click on the link. The event's free. If you have questions, if you want to just have an open dialogue, if you're somebody that says, you know, Tom, I just don't know anything about this and I want to know more. I mean, I am going to have people there that support it. I'm going to be opposed to it. We're going to have a dialogue like big adults and we're going to see what happens and hopefully things don't get sideways because if it does, I'm going to have to shut it down. So if you show up, I want you to be, um, I want you to be as polite as you can be. But February 15th, 7 p.m., it's virtual. You can do it in your underwear, <laughs> the comfort of your own home if you want. But let's have that discussion. By the way, I'm looking for other opportunities to speak in public about this issue to help uh, at least counter the issue. Maybe I'll learn something, maybe I won't, but the dialogue is definitely worth having. So I appreciate you guys listening. I hope you share the video if you find it, um, find it interesting enough. And um, God bless you. Thanks. Happy Friday. Bye.